Welcome to Wizard Team, a Harry Potter cast for true Potterheads. Usually each week we discuss a chapter from the Harry Potter series, but today we're doing something a little different. I'm Robin. And I'm Bayana. Today we're doing another bonus episode, and joining us today is New York Times bestselling author Daniel Jose Older. Some really quick announcements. Um, use the hashtag Wizard Team on Twitter to follow along. You can also tag and follow us at We Black and Nerds. Submit to Hogwarts BSU and imagine life as a Black Hogwarts student. And if you would like to submit, check out the website for guidelines, blackgirlscreate.org. Become a Patronus or send us a cheering charm, blackgirlscreate.org slash donate. And buy our Wizard Team merch. You can find the link on our website, blackgirlscreate.org. And if you want to support us but don't have the funds to do so, or even if you do, rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to our newsletter, follow us on social media, and join our Slack channel. All of those things can be found on our website, blackgirlscreate.org. Yep. Um, and we don't have any news, uh, so we will talk about it in our regular episode if there is any. Um, so let's just let's get into, these, into this interview. Let's go. So um, let's welcome Daniel Jose Older. He's a New York Times bestselling author of Salsa Nocturna, the Bone Street Rumba fan, Urban Fantasy Series, and the young adult novel Shadow Shaper, a New York Times notable book of 2015, which won the International Latino Book Award and was shortlisted for the Kirkus Prize in Young Readers Literature, the Andre Norton Award, the Locus, the My, the My So Poic Award. Nobody knows how to pronounce Esquire's Okay, and named one of Esquire's 80 books every person should read, which I can, I'm not Esquire, but I concur. (laughs) You can find his thoughts on writing, read dispatches from his decade-long career as an NYC paramedic, and hear his music at danieljoseolder.net on YouTube and at DJ Older on Twitter. So thank you so much for joining us on Wizard Team. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. We're we're super excited. We're Someone called me an hour early. So oh, it was only said, half yeah. an hour early, actually. Oh, man. I don't, know, about that. I don't know nothing about all that. <laughs> time zones, man. Yeah, time zones confuse me, too. Trust me. <laughs> um, cool. So we're going to start with, like, the really important heavy-hitting question. I'm ready. What is your Hogwarts house? You want to guess? I would say Gryffindor. I would have thought that, too, and then I took the test, and it's Hufflepuff. Oh, you're impossible! The same thing happened to me, actually. <laughs> there, is a, there is a thing now, and I'm going to have to start, like, doing actual, like, scientific something to back it up, but most people are Ravenclaw Hufflepuffs. Interesting. Like, we're the majority. Or at least, like, cool people. people <laughs> but you're a Ravenclaw Gryffindor, Robin. Shut up. I'm a Ravenclaw. <laughs> Full stop. Wow. I mean... Okay. I, n- I didn't see it coming, but uh, there it is. So, <laughs> you know, I can't be did mad. You, did you, like, read the description? Because I know, like, I read, when I first got it, I was surprised, and I was like, nah, they messed up. Right. And then I read the description, and I was like, oh, that's, yeah. You know I what? Know I didn't read the description. I probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you go from the, like, the in-depth descriptions, it starts to make a little bit more sense. But then I think it's also kind of like horoscopes where... You can see yourself in all of the houses in some right. way, except right. I'm not a Gryffindor. I might be a Gryffindor. Fuck, I don't want to. <laughs> um, so, 
you make like references to Harry Potter, especially in like Midnight Taxi Tango, the rap with like drops like the Horcrux and the Voldemort lyrics. Yeah, of course. Um, have you always been like a Harry Potter fan or a Potterhead? Uh, yeah, I would say I don't know if I would go full on Potterhead. I I do love the books, um, particularly after book three and on. Or starting with book three and on, mm-hmm. I would say um, that's when I really that's when it really picks up for me. Um, I liked the first two, but I remember reading them like right around when they first came out, and I was like, "Ah, eh, this is cool." I don't really get the hype. And then people were like, "No, no, keep going," and I was like, "All right." So I read the third one, and that's when I was like, "Oh, okay, now I really get the hype." Like, and then I just was like, <laughs> "In," you know, and I really, I really do love them, and they they definitely um, influenced my own writing a lot because that was the only YA I had really read. Like as YA, um, before I decided to write Shadow Shaper, so it was certainly like figuring into my kind of worldview of what YA really was. Yeah, I mean, I think I get that a lot. Like trying to, especially convincing like older readers to to read Harry Potter, um, or like even teenagers. Sometimes I'm like, so the first two books, like they're really written for kids, and so it's gonna be hard to get through it. But then, like once you get to three, that was. I mean, I was into, I was a kid when I read, like, one and two, but I definitely when I got to three, I was like, oh, this is, like, my shit. This is my favorite thing ever. Yeah. Um, That's when the history, the history part of it really starts to pick up, like, when you get this real strong sense of, like, all that complex backstory that's going on, and it's like, it really mm -hmm. feels like there's a whole other series just in the backstory um, that you just get little hints of, but that really starts to pick up in three. And, and and I really feel like three is when it becomes YA. And like you said, you know, the first two books are really middle grade. And yeah, that's how I kind of explain it, too. Yeah. Um, so jumping off of that, what is your favorite book of the series? Um, you know, I haven't reread them since the first time. So this is based on that. But um, Order of the Phoenix is yep. where... Yeah, to me that really feels yeah. like. First of all, it's it's um you know it's kind of urban fantasy, which is cool because they that's the when they finally spend time mm-hmm. away from Hogwarts for real, and it's like good quality time, um, and they're in London and like all this cool stuff is happening. I love the idea that like that things start to kind of congeal as far as like the resistance goes, and like you have this whole complex um, analysis of like corruption within the order and within. Um, I don't know, all this stuff is going on, and it's really good. I, I was really into it. All these other characters, and they all feel really real. So, yeah, it just felt different. Like, it just felt like they were just there was just something else happening. And so, that was really cool. I do love the last one, too. Um, I think it's a toss-up between those two. I'm excited, because I feel like every um, like guest we've had on has agreed with me that Word of the Phoenix is the best book of the series. Something takes it's off not, in that book. It's not their fault it's that they're so wrong. Good. Oh, so what's your favorite, Rob? It's great, though. My favorite is Prisoner of Azkaban. So I, I, I waffle, though. I'm not going to lie and, like, act like Order of the Phoenix isn't fire. But I feel one Prisoner of Azkaban has, like, peak Sirius Black, which is, like... I feel you. My, he's my Patronus. And, um, and I think it also is just, like, when you're reading it in, as a series... The third book is like, oh, we're in this now. Like, this, like, shit is real. Like, there's, like, you know, allusions to criminal justice and, like, what it means to be wrongly convicted and, like, the fact that, like, adults can be wrong and get things wrong and, like, that has, like, major stakes. And right. And um, also, for me, a lot of the talk about, like, depression... Yeah. Um, ...is really, like, is really informed my 
how I like go through the world um, and, and like speaks to me on a, a level. So I think that Prisoner of Azkaban, for those reasons, um, and also I think because a lot of it too is because I think it's the gateway into what makes these books so important. Like, by the time you get to Order of the Phoenix, you already know that they're important. Mm-hmm. But before Prisoner of Azkaban, you're like, oh, like you said, like, oh, it's middle grade. It's not, you know. I mean, middle grade is important. Don't cute. get me wrong. But. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. But, like, they're, they're cute. <laughs> um, also, though, like, rereading Chamber of Secrets, like, that shit's terrifying. <laughs> Even though it is middle grade. So, I know you said, like, you're, you wouldn't really call yourself, like, a Potterhead, but do you have any like specific head canons around like any of the Harry Potter uh, characters, like things that aren't in the books, but you kind of just like really go for, like Black Hermione or something? Or like we also we say on ours that Beyonce is an animagus, and that's who Hedwig is. <laughs> so it's like really random, yeah. but yeah, I don't, I don't, true. I don't. I mean, it. I I love the idea that Hermione is black. I don't think um we can give like. Rowling any credit for that because it's not there. You know, it's not in the oh, text. No. So, <laughs> no. Um, when people yeah. are like, yeah, Hermione is obviously black, that's not the case. Um, I, I mean, in the ideal world, she's black and she, I'm all for casting her as black, but I don't think we can say, like, oh, it's clear in the text in any kind of way. I just don't, I'm not on board with, like, the retroactive diversity piece. Um, I just love the, I, you know, I love the books, but, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, they don't take me, like, to too many other places. I mean, I always say, like, Star Wars is really my one true fandom, probably. And, like, that's oh. where I go, like, that's where <laughs> I feel like that that world, more than any other that I can think of in the fantasy realm, that I, that I fuck with anyway, really just has, like, so many opportunities for, like, furthering and expanding, you know, and, like, following different characters along different paths and stuff. Like, I, that, it's there in Harry Potter, but not nearly in the same way, you know? Yeah, so I'm doing, I'm volunteering with the Harry Potter Alliance, and I'm doing work about, like, more diversity and outreach into, like, other communities, because I feel like, um, and this is kind of, like, a plug for the HPA, but, like, they have really good intentions, they just don't have the connections to these communities. Right. And um, I was talking, I was thinking about, like, why the space isn't as diverse as it could or should be. And I was kind of, I was talking to someone else that we, she does, uh, she, she makes this web series, Hermione Granger and the Quarter Life Crisis, and, like, it's a black Hermione. Mm-hmm. And she was saying that when she was growing up, like, her parents were, like, really, like, oh, that, that witchcraft stuff, <laughs> like, you know, like, just, like, kind of, and I remember, like, my mom, like, and, like, my mom's pastor at one point, like, I was at a church picnic, and he was like, you know, that's about witchcraft, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> And so I feel like maybe that might be why people like people of color didn't gravitate or not I don't know, they're huge books, so a lot of people of color read them, but I feel like maybe that's why they're not so visible in the fandom. But I see Star Wars like as be and maybe also because Bayana's dad's a huge Star Wars like fan. So in my life, um, I've seen it. It just always seemed way black to me, hmm. Star Wars. Interesting. Or or people of color in general, but I mean I'm black, so it seems real black. <laughs> I, feel I mean they did go ahead and like give us a, a black protagonist, which you know Harry Potter definitively did not. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, yeah. We, we now we just need to get some women of color up in Star Wars, like for real. Um Yeah. 
But I, I don't know. Actually, just today I was tweeting about it. But Doctor Afra is in the. It's like a Marvel comic from like based on a Star Wars world, and like she is an amazing character. She's definitely a woman of color, and she's an archaeologist, and like she's super mm-hmm. awesome. So yeah, she Dr. needs to be in a movie. Doctor Afra, yeah, A P H R A. Is it her own standalone? She has her, she has her own Marvel series, and it's really good. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's weird to me that people don't know about it because it's like from Marvel and it's super dope. But um, definitely worth checking out. I'm, yeah, I'm reading the Lando series. Um, I've heard that's good. Marvel, yeah, it's good. Yeah, cool. So then let's like get into the the the, the writing stuff. What draws you to like the stories that you love, and and do you bring those elements into your own writing? Hmm. What draws me to the stories I love? Um, I think a lot about that, and there's no easy answer, right? Because <laughs> I think that, you know, I teach writing, and I always teach that, like, there's some, there's, like, a certain degree to which you can kind of, like, mathematicize, that's not a word, but, you know, kind of, like, make sense <laughs> out of um, elements of story, and that's what I try to teach, like, in the Skillshare class I have online. Um there's a certain degree to which writing does have like an almost scientific level to it and that some things really work and some things don't. Um, but then there's something beyond that, which is really magical, which we can't like, there's no equation for it. And that's really what sets like those great books aside from just being good books. And I love that there's no way to really define it. I love that my favorite books, I couldn't tell you exactly what it was. It's just something really like above and beyond that just was true about it or just felt really like real about it whether it was the characters of the world or whatever. Um, So I do kind of, I I do look for it and I read very like, I read like a writer, even when I'm pleasure reading, to try to see what worked and what didn't. And it's usually when I can't quite put my finger on something that those are the books that are the best books. And I do try to do that, but I don't know how because there's no, (laughs) there is no equation. By definition, it's impossible to kind of reproduce. Um, It's just something that I look for in my own work. Um, But I will say that part of it for me, Process-wise is, like, I don't um, write with any kind of outline or really know what's going to happen next in a book, generally. I might have a very vague sense of where we're going, but it's not a clear, like, scene-by-scene type of deal at all. So, in that sense, like, I make sure that the the momentum is there because I'm literally trying to figure out what's going to happen next myself. So, I know if I care enough, you know, some, some someone else is probably going to care, too. Like, a reader is going to care. Because writing is more effort than reading. So if I care enough to, if I'm really engaged in the story and I want to find out what happens next, so I need to write it, I feel like someone's probably going to want to find out and bother reading it too. Um, so that's a process point. Like I feel like I can feel the sort of magic and momentum of the story as I move through. And if I'm not, then I have to stop and like recalibrate. Yeah. So when I saw you at the reading you did for Shadow Shaper um, in San Francisco, you had said something that was like super motivating to me as a failing writer which was like, don't oh. don't worry about how other people's like. You have to find your process, and there is no like Absolutely. way to write. Um, I just wanted to, if you could like expand, kind of, and like obviously say it better than and more articulate, like eloquently than I just did it. But um, expand on that and like how you found, how you came to that because, um, like Bayan is like a a writer that not to put you on blast, but to put you on blast, but like. <laughs> You'll go, when she's writing a story, like, you'll go in her room and you, like, are kind of immersed into, like, this world of, like, you know, 
storyboards and like pictures and like you can kind of see sure. her story like as like that's how she kind of her yeah. process and I think that because she's able to like actually like get some pages done I've tried to like mimic that but I haven't right. been successful <laughs> so. right right I mean I haven't actually finished anything so <laughs> it's nice in <laughs> the planning <laughs> let's be honest finishing stuff is really hard first of all it's and, really uh, hard I, there's the thing about processes. There's no because it is so personal. No one else can teach you how to really do it. You have to trial and error it, and that's it. So what it means is you have to be self-reflective as you write. And for me, like in a very clear way, that's involved like just keeping a journal, keeping a writing journal, and being like, okay, here's what I'm doing today. Here's what I hope will happen. Here's my mood. Here's what I don't want to do. Whatever, and check in about the story, like actual notes on the story type stuff. And that really allows you, even if you don't read back over it. You still it it make it forces you to be like, is this working? You know, like, am I, am I consciously like creating a process for myself by checking in and, and seeing what's working and what's not? And if something isn't working, am I eliminating it from the process? And that's not always easy, and it's especially hard because it's it's in flux. Like, it'll change, it'll change day to day, and it'll change over the course of your writing life. So, you know, it really requires you to be like, like I say, like self reflective. So. I've done that. Um, I think I'm I'm sort of that way naturally, but it's enhanced when I actually write down the things. It also is helpful just to sit down and write words that are not going to necessarily be published to to kind of loosen you up. And that in itself is a process point, you know. So knowing that that's helpful, I do that, especially if I'm sort of feeling stuck or if I'm not really in a writing mood, that gets me into the writing zone a lot better because I'm not writing, you know. I mean, we forget that writing isn't a performance art, you know. It's, it's a thing that you do and you get to go back yeah. and fix your mistakes. Like famously, you know, uh, shitty first drafts like that's a, that's an important thing to remember so basically it's like yeah like look at other people's process for sure but don't try to mimic it point for point because that won't work but you know try it and see what happens and then be like oh you know it worked like for me it works I do have like um, outlines and, and drawings up on my wall but usually that's for either if I'm doing a script type of thing because that needs a little bit more of direct like clarity as far as the point by point breakdown or if I'm editing um well, specifically with Shadow Shaper, that's the book I edited more than any other over the course of writing because I was really learning how to write a novel while I was working on it. So I just took it apart and put it back together so many times, it really required me to have like the whole story in basically like sketchy cartoon format um, just outlined on my wall that I could then cut out, literally cut out pieces of and then paste them somewhere else or tack them somewhere else in the story and move it around with that kind of fluidity. So again, that's a, that's a process point for me. I, you know, I learned by doing, and that's that's what it was. Um, but if you if you're not in a state of self awareness, then you're just gonna keep running into the same problem over and over. Like, oh my god, I, and then you're gonna convince yourself that you can't write or that you're not a good writer when really it is like you just can't write at night or whatever, you know, or like you can't <laughs> write to jazz, and that's fine. Change the damn music, you know what I mean? Like, it's trial and error. You got to be flexible and sort of playful with it so that you can get to what what does work. Yeah. Right. That's. I feel like sometimes I get really stuck with, like, if I don't understand the story, like, I have to have it in my head all worked out. Um, and if there's something that doesn't make sense, I can't. See that? Like, I'm, like, editing while I write. Yeah, that's a dangerous way to go because what you're not doing in that situation is trusting the story. Yeah. Trust the story. Yeah. You have to trust yeah. the story. And trust the reader. And trust yourself. Like... It sort of takes, for me, this is me, it takes all the fun out of it if I know how everything ties up. 
And then I'm like, well, this is boring. I already know what's going to happen. But if you trust the story and you have a little faith in yourself as a writer, then you know, you know, again, it's not a performance art. So you can, you know, I'll plant seeds. They call it the gardener method for a reason. Like you're planting seeds, right? And as you go, they often will come to fruition in ways that you then, uh, that are necessary for the story to progress. Like I'll give you a perfect example. In Midnight Taxi Tango, you know, it starts with the scene in the park with Carlos sitting in an ambulance with his buddy Victor. Which I had no idea if that would ever come to, you know, be something that I would need again. I just, I knew that that was going to set up that initial sort of moment where they're, they're investigating the series of disasters in the park, right? So who knows a lot about disasters happening on a regular basis? Paramedics. I know because I was one. Um, also, I have a paramedic character. So that's a perfect end for me to bring in this kind of friendship and show Carlos and his world a little bit. Um, but I was also like, you never know when you're going to need an ambulance. And lo and behold, spoiler alert, you know, at the end of the book, they need to get out to Long Island really, really quickly. And there's always traffic on the LIE. So what's a great way to get through traffic, you know, in a very illegal kind of undercut way when you need to be somewhere quickly? An ambulance. So having a buddy with an ambulance is really handy. And that came into play. You know what I mean? But I didn't know that when I started writing the book. I wasn't like, oh, great, we're going to use this later. It just worked out really well. So that, that kind of magic doesn't happen if you're constantly being like, wait, does this need to be here? Oh, maybe it doesn't. Let me cut it out because I don't know if I'm going to need it later. No, you can always go back and cut it out. Or you can have things that don't necessarily tie in together because that's what life is like. Shit doesn't always tie up nicely in a little boat. That's real. You should be a teacher. <laughs> you know? About that. Oh, man. You should teach writing. <laughs> um, okay, so um, when did you actually, like, start writing? Because I know, like, you just mentioned you were a paramedic for um, a long time. And so when did you, like, kind of venture into writing? Or were you just always writing? I always knew I wanted to tell stories. I didn't really know what that was, how that was going to manifest exactly so you know I think I wanted to be a writer I surely did as a kid I didn't know like if that meant making movies or cartoons or what um and then in college I was just I got kind of like disaffected by just how uh whack so much representation was in in sci-fi and fantasy and I was really like leaning more into non-fiction and essay writing um and you know my heroes then were like Bell Hooks and James Baldwin and them and Eduardo Galeano and stuff like that. And then coming out, I was like, I still want, I knew I wanted to do stuff in the arts. I also knew I wanted to pay my rent, um, which is why I became a paramedic, really. Um, and then for most of my 20s, like post-college, I was post-undergrad, I was um, I was doing the paramedic thing. And then my creative output was mainly uh, music. So I was writing music. I was composing, you know, for different folks. And that was cool. And there was always a storytelling aspect to that. That was my minor in college. Um, and I did kind of small, like a small opera type thing uh, with Cuban style music, a lot of different Cuban forms of music and stuff like that. And then, yeah, I guess at some point I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm really not, I'm not making any money doing this, like on a very basic level. I will never get off the ambulance if this is like what I'm trying to do it with. Um, and I'm not really able to do like the work of my heart entirely because it's so uh production heavy like you know if i were to write something there's no way to kind of do it in a way that's like a high enough quality that i could put it out into the world and like tell the stories i wanted to tell and do all the work i wanted to do and so it really hit me that like the only way to do that would be to just write a book you know like that's the simplest and most and there's i think there's a really important power in the word um in that it's it takes nothing it's literally 
the cheapest art form in the world because you just have to stand there and talk, you know, or like a piece of paper and a pen. Like it's that simple. And the fact that it can then develop into such huge and magical things and, you know, things that people really feel just really speaks to its power um, in, in all that simplicity and all that magic. So I love that about it. I've always loved writing. Like writing has always come really natural to me. So I was like, oh, let me try this book thing. Um, so I did. That was 2009. I was 29. And I sat down to write uh, Shadow Shaper, but it wasn't called that then. It was something totally different. And I actually yesterday just finished posting the last chapter of that original manuscript of Shadow Shaper on Wattpad. Um, so you can read it, which is interesting because it's, you can see all my rookie mistakes and, and also see the couple, there's like two or three scenes that actually made it, you know, into the final version. It really changed like so dramatically. It's an entirely different book. Um, and so yeah, I posted it cause it's kind of interesting to see process like that and to see how people grow as writers and everything. Right. So then what drew you kind of like back into like sci-fi and fantasy and like writing well, actually, Harry Potter was one of the things that did that, although it was also simultaneously, like, exciting to see this world so deeply developed and also kind of, like, whack to see that, you know, after taking a <laughs> decade-long break from fantasy, it's still white dude saving the world, you know, and, like, mm-hmm. still, like, super Eurocentric. That's what kind of put me off the first two books. I was like, I know this. I know all these Euro, Euro myths that we, like, see all the time in every fantasy ever. Um, what's fresh and new, you know, and what, what ended up being fresh and new was her strong sense of history and character development and stuff like that. Um, and I thought that was really, you know, amazing. And then rediscovering Octavia Butler, um, writers like Walter Mosley and Juno Diaz, who don't necessarily write fantasy, well, Walter, Walter writes fantasy and sci-fi, but, you know, like Brief Wonder's Life of Oscar Wilde isn't a fantasy book, but it's about an, a fantasy nerd. You know, and uh, and a Latino wanted that, and that was just super cool to read and like see that that exists in the world, you know, and all that stuff. So it was really like around. It was '08. I was reading that, and I read like most of Octavia Butler's books, and I it really like reignited that kind of fire in me to see that you could tell this deep story and talk about all this heavy like real world shit, but also do kind of the magic and the excitement and the wonder at the same time. Yeah, I have this theory that um, J.K. Rowling actually isn't. A sci-fi fantasy writer. She's a mystery writer because if you've read her um, detective novels, like <clears throat> those are just way more tight to me. Um, yeah, I haven't read them. I've heard they're good. Sci-fi fantasy story, and she wrote it, but that's not her core competency. Huh. And I think that's really cool, like that you mentioned, Gina Diaz, because that was one of those books that, for me, and this kind of goes into my next or into another question, I guess. Like, yeah. when I read that book, I was like, oh, we can... It doesn't have to be a white main character, and, like, and they can still be nerdy, and, like... Right. Look, like, have a... a, a, a I mean, not that I have the exact same background as, like, the main character in that story, but, like, he wasn't, like on the street swinging, <laughs> you know, I don't know, it was just, like, it was, like, he, he was the main character in that story, I was a person of color, but who was dealing with, like, nerdy shit, and, and real shit, too, but, like, exactly. um, I just think, I love that you, like, mentioned that book specifically, because that was really important to me as, like, a consumer, um, so one question I do have is that, like, you, so you, 
along with your books, which I love to read, like pen or paper physical copies, but I actually listened to Shadow Shaper first. Oh, cool. Um, and then I listened to Salsa Nocturna and um, like half listened and read to Midnight Taxi Tango. But so you read the adult novels and yeah. then you got Anika Nani Rose to read Shadow Shaper, which was amazing. Yeah. Um, so two questions, one purely fandom. Is she going to read the next <laughs> in the series? And why did you not, or why did you decide not to read the young adult Shadow Shaper novel? Um, I don't know the answer to question one. I surely hope so, because she really just killed it, and it's amazing. Oh, um, she's so good. <laughs> so good at it. I love it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We haven't... I just, we just haven't gotten there in the discussion yet around that, because we're still just... You know, it comes out in September, Shadow House Fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know, but it's a great question, and I sure hope so. And two was... Um, it just made more sense. I mean, it's a... You know, it's a close third point of view with a girl, so it... It was kind of made mm-hmm. sense to have a female narrator, I thought. Um, and they had a... Yeah, they, it, just, it just made sense to do. I'm glad I did, because like I said, she slayed it. And I mean, you slay the adult <laughs> novels. And Salsa Nocturna, like, I've Thanks. now just, like, been re-reading, like, or listening to... I've listened to it, like... It's, like, now, like, kind of my bedtime stories. <laughs> Um, which is kind of weird because my dreams get fucked up sometimes but yeah (laughs) a couple people have said that to me it's great to hear (laughs) but it's like uh, yeah I wouldn't do that with Midnight Taxi Tango no yeah no no, don't Um, don't do that (laughs) not at all but yeah I just think like it's weird too because it was one of those things where I went through kind of a reading slump Mm -hmm. and I had this weird like block about audiobooks Mm -hmm. um but because it was short stories, I felt like, I, I don't know, and I had an audible credit, and so why not? Um, right. And so it really got me back into, like, story. So, yeah, I just wanted to, uh, that's not a question, but, like, you're a great reader as well. As well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I really was happy to be able to do it. I mean, because, you know, it's not really my call. Um, for, for Shadow Shaper, Scholastic Audio did that, so they really made the final call on that. I just kind of put them together with Anika and was like, you know, this would be great. And they were like, yeah, it would. Um, and then for Audible is who did the um, the whole Bone Street Roomba series. So I actually had to go in and audition for that. Um, but I was like... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, because, you know, wow. look, writers can't always read. Like, <laughs> I, I, if you've been to a reading, you know that, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the truth. So I get it. But I was like, there's no one else that's going to read these because this is my shit. You know, like... A lot of Carlos's voice came very directly from my own uh, blogs about being on the ambulance. Like, that's kind of another place that I learned to write and just, like, be in the world and sort of think through this narrator voice was doing that. Um, So it's like, I know how to read these. Like, you got to let me do it. Fortunately, they did. Yeah, we're all very thankful for that. Thank you, Audible. (laughs) You made the right choice. I know. Right. Um, So when did you realize and, like, that you wanted to bring um, black and brown representation to YA. I mean, I know, like, for me, it wasn't, like, a conscious thing at first, and mm-hmm. so I just was, like, writing characters that looked like me, and that was what it was. But, like, did you have, like, a specific moment where it became more intentional, or was it just, like, that's, like, or you just kind of did it without... 
No, it was always going to be that. I knew that yeah. from jump. I mean, I was an organizer for a long time. Um, uh, along with being a paramedic, I was doing work around gender and race um, in Brooklyn, and and yeah, all, all that kind of kind of like really trying to have that intersectional conversation. Uh, back, mm-hmm. bef- not to sound like a hipster, but kind of before it was cool, because it was just hard <laughs> to get those people in the room with each other, like the different sort of sides of, of dealing with the different stuff, like. Um, didn't want to have a conversation. And, you know, that's still true to some extent. And I think a lot of that is a consequence of just institutional culture, you know, being very stratified in terms of what they, especially nonprofits, you know, what what they want to deal with or are willing to deal with and how deep they're willing to go with their analysis. So, yeah, that was um, a lot of my life was doing that work um, and remains true in different ways. But once when I when I made the decision to go into writing, it was... Like, with a very clear, conscious understanding that I would do it to fuck shit up, like, on a really real way, um, in terms of disturbing the status quo of of white power in publishing, you know, which is Mm -hmm. the truth that we've all lived with right up until very recently that's starting to really change now, I think. And that's not to say we have arrived in any way, but I think the progress has been really incredible in the past couple of years in part because of the organizing that's been going on and really mainly entirely i would say because of the hard work and the risk taking that writers writers of color have been doing um that's why we're seeing a change you know like and that's what's amazing to behold and to be a part of and i absolutely knew from jump that my career was going to be a part of that change whatever that meant i didn't know i didn't know what that would mean exactly but i knew that i wasn't going to whitewash my shit and i knew that i was going to have difficult you know, real conversations about race in YA fantasy, whether that meant I had to self-publish or not. Thank God it turned... Well, not thank God. It's it's, it's going to take all different types. So I don't want to, like, sound like self-publishing isn't the way, because it is for a lot of folks. And, and that should be, like, a... Especially now, you can really, like, be huge in publishing by self-publishing. Um, so, you know, I'm happy I landed where I landed. Um, but I think, uh, just like with process... Um, with the with the path in publishing that you take, it's gonna have everyone's gonna have their own you know route with that. So, and and I you know I, I self published um, Salsa Nocturna recently because I let the um, original copyright run out where it was first published, which was at uh, Cross Genre. So yeah, I, all that to say, you know, it the, the the whole of you know white supremacy and, and and patriarchy like they come at us from all different sides, and we can't. We can't just clap back at them from one side or another. We have to come at them from all different sides. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, that that's why I, I bristle when people act like there's one true path. You know, self-publishing people do that sometimes. when They're like, if you're not self-publishing, you're not doing the real shit, you know. And then publishing people do it, too. Like, you know, mainstream published people do it where it's like, oh, if you're not doing it in the big leagues, you're not really doing the real shit. All of that is trash. We have to all be doing it. Like, different people are going to have different paths, period. Um, and so people are going to be doing all the paths and that's cool too, but we can't be spitting on each other's different kind of ways of being because we really literally need everyone to be out there doing the work. Cool. I just want to like mention real quick that we, Robin and I were talking, I guess, what was it like? It was like last week. Right. Um, and she was reading Midnight Taxi Tango and she was like, cause I have a sister who is 18 now. Um, and so she like texted me and was like, is Kia like my sister? <laughs> and I was thinking about it, and I was like, oh. "Yeah, she <laughs> like, is. actually, oh. yeah, they're she is. I was like, so similar." And so, is. like, yeah, thinking <laughs> about weird. it again, and like, I know, like, for me, reading Octavia Butler was like the moment where I really felt like seen within like the books that I was reading. Yeah. Um, but then also, 
like Robin mentioning that and then I was like oh so I'm like now it's my mission to get my sister to like read these books because I'm like that she's literally you <laughs> oh that's so great I <laughs> like, hope she does and tell yeah. and let me know what she thinks yeah. when she does yeah. definitely I yeah. will yeah. yeah that's awesome great I love hearing that that's really cool yeah, it kind of blew my mind a little bit. <laughs> um, it, it blew my mind, too, because their names are actually similar as well. So they are like similar. Starting to read Akira, not Kia. Right. <laughs> Same person. That's really funny. Yeah, so then I also wanted to ask, because, like, we, we see it, like, with Harry Potter and then especially with, like, the... Um, like, the whole, like, Black Hermione thing and the casting for the play, but, like... How and like I feel like we have our own opinions on like how important it is, but just like how do you, how important do you feel it is to explicitly state the race of your characters? Yeah, well, it's an interesting question because I actually tend to not. Um, there's there's sort of two parts to that, right? Because there's there's ways of making it clear without explicitly stating it, explicitly stating mm-hmm. it. And one thing I've sort of tried to do at, at at first it was actually unconscious, and then I realized I was doing it, and I really made a point of it doing it. Um, but I tend to actually not name people's races unless they're white, um, in in a in, as a in a way as a form of clapback because generally white authors tend to only name race when it's not white, and I find that mm-hmm. to be really um, well, it's just dumb, really. Like, like, what are you doing? You know, and it's also just uh, it's also just a certain truth in that I think in in particularly when you're in a crowd of, of folks of color, you know, if someone walks in who's white, they'll go, oh, there's that white dude. Whereas, like, anyone else is just like, oh, there's that dude. You know, like, so mm-hmm. there's just the honesty to it that I think because most of my characters are people of color. And there's ways of making that clear um, without being like, this young fellow is of mixed Caribbean and whatever, you know. <laughs> like, you know, you can, there's ways that we know who we are and... So I try to do that. I try to sort of lean into those ways more than being, like, explicit. Um, but when it's a white dude, I'll say, this white dude walked in the room. And that's kind of, like, one, a form of clapback again. I want another form of truth-telling. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think it's on us to make it explicitly clear. And I don't... I, I dislike the thing when writers are, like, think they're being clever by being ambiguous about race. Mm-hmm. I just it's very I'm not I'm not gonna say across the board like it can't be done I just think it's very hard to pull off in this day and age like it's almost like saying race doesn't matter or it becomes like a tricky kind of I got you moment which I think is kind of like a weird thing to do and really hard again really hard to pull off because um, that's literature isn't about like having I got you moments you know what I mean it's not being like about it's like being tricky oh I see you thought it was this but it was that <laughs> you know like that's okay <laughs> You know, you want a cookie? Like, I just don't... That doesn't work for me. And like I already said, with the retroactive thing, like, okay, I don't know. That that just doesn't do anybody any good. Like, you didn't really, like... You didn't do anything brave or take any kind of stand. And I do think literature is about being brave in in terms of whose stories we tell and what stories we tell and, like, you know, how honest we are about those stories. Yes, like, absolutely. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's where I fall on. Yeah, I mean, to go into, like, being brave, like... I yeah. think that you were incredibly brave. Um, Thank you. And I, I, I guess, you know, you, you spoke about, like, how you went in with the, like, explicit, like, intent to fuck shit up within publishing. And why was that and so important for you to be so vocal about this, especially with the possible risk to your career when it comes to being, like, mainstream published because yeah. you could be seen as kind of, like, you know... Uh, a rabble rouser. Difficult or, yeah, you know. Um, right. And yet you are still 
so quick with the clap back, which thank you. Um, yeah. By the way, I I think I told you <laughs> I have a like your clap back. Um, one of your clapbacks gave me an idea for a, a, like a Twitter coffee table book of just like Twitter clapbacks. Great. <laughs> that's great that's hilarious yeah i mean what, what's the question though oh just like why why was it so important for you to like oh yeah well first of all thank people, you especially at the risk you know like yeah. with the possible risk to like how far you could go absolutely and i appreciate you saying that because i think we've come into a period where that's sort of like not seen as much because people mm-hmm. sort of take it for granted now that there's loud mouths who have sort of quote unquote made it and so it's easy to just be like, oh, well, I guess it's not risky. You know, and the truth is, like, you don't always see the pushback. In fact, most of the most powerful pushback is it happens behind closed doors. It's just It just means something doesn't get published. So there's not anything to, like, see or push back against. Counter pushback It's just you just don't have a career. And that sucks. And it's easy as a writer to not have a career for a lot of different reasons. So you can never just be like... You know, so that does make it really complicated, um, and it was risk. It is continually risk taking. I think to speak out in different ways, um, but it also can serve as a nice filter in a way because it meant that because I was dealing with that stuff on the forefront, I, it generally saved me the trouble of having to deal with it on the back end. In the sense of, at a certain point, you know, editors and agents kind of knew who I was, and so they either weren't going to deal with me or they were going to be dope and like know what I was about and deal with me. But it wasn't going to be a case where they're like, oh, who's this, you know, hot, yep, up and coming voice in YA literature. And they're like, oh my God, what are you saying? You know, like <laughs> I wasn't going to be signed with someone and have them be shocked at who I am and then have to have a whole conversation. Like maybe you should tone down your pretty Twitter presence or maybe you should. Nah, y'all know who I was. You knew you followed me before you bought my book or before you signed me on. So there's no surprises here. Um, so if you're down with what I'm saying, then we can work together. And if you're not, then like, that's cool. You know, find someone else to troll. And that's like, you know, that's a very, um, arrogant way to go into the business. And (laughs) it can be very dangerous and it can very easily not pay off. Um, but I also knew that I wasn't going to do well with someone who was going to try to curb my voice and try to tell me how to do me. Um, and ultimately like it, it has paid off, um, because it's also kind of allowed me to kind of create the audience that I want in terms of who I'm speaking to when I'm up here. And that's, you know, that's that's one way of doing the work. Like, that's one way of getting yourself out there is, like, having this real conversation with people and finding people who appreciate that real conversation. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's kind of been my philosophy through it. But like I said, I came in with a very clear mandate. Like, this is what I'm going to do here. So... It's, I do want my career to thrive and I want to make money from my writing and I want to stay, you know, like publishing books for sure. Um, and I want to tell difficult truths with books. I mean, ultimately, those two things should never be incompatible. But realistically, they can be because of because of power and privilege and whiteness and everything else. Um, but I knew I was going to do it on my terms. And then that meant I had to really clarify my terms. Um, it doesn't mean you become a wall and you don't change a single thing ever, ever, ever. It means you just have to have that really difficult um, kind of decision-making moment again and again as you're moving through your career. What are your priorities? What direction are we going to go with this? How are we going to deal with that? When to push back? When to when to be more fluid? It's complex, for sure. Um, but that's what you kind of learn by doing. And now that more than ever, there's this community of writers out there that we that support each other, particularly writers of color, you know, who know that we're all out here trying to have these difficult conversations and make these tough calls. And so, you know, ideally we'd be in there for each other at some level. 
Yeah, that's so great. I love like the idea of like the community of writers helping and holding each other up. Um, as readers and as fans, how do do you have any ideas about how we can help hold writers um, and publishers like publishing accountable uh, to getting it right and to like continue to like give space to voices like yours and other people that are are consciously doing it? Um, I think it's in all the ways that you would think. It's like just like you know treat our work the way you would treat any fandom in the way you know with the same enthusiasm and and glory and you know support and excitement uh, it's it's really cool to see like these amazing like fan arts and 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 fan fiction that goes up um you know around different works and it's important that folks do that for authors of color's work instead of not only do it by like changing the race of characters that are already established in canon and huge you know um, not to say that there's anything wrong with that. I love, you know, I love the black Hermione, um, art. I think it's dope as hell. Um, just make sure you're also out there supporting writers of color who are putting out like characters that are unambiguously black, um, mm-hmm. on top of that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I think that's important. I think certainly like just buying the books is important and buying, um, buying it for other people. You know, if you already have it, um, sometimes there's, uh, different writers have, I must say that I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Patreons. Patreons, you know, um, a lot of yeah, a lot of writers of color have those. I don't, but there's a lot that do. Um, you know, support them in those because there's ways of supporting them in, with small amounts that collectively create. You know, and that's that's how community works. It's like just like on the block, like folks support each other in small ways, and it goes a long way because a lot of people are doing it. That's community organizing essentially. So do that. You know, um, I have like uh, novellas out. You know, that are like a dollar online. You know, like for, in the Shadow Shaper world. So, like, it's a dollar. Like, get it for yourself and get it for, like, the young people in your life. You know, like, these little ways that really go a long way can really mean something if you start to... And then just be really public about it. Like, if you're reading a book, live tweet it. You know, if you don't like live tweeting, then just publicly tweet it afterwards and stuff like that. Those are all important things, for sure. Yeah. Um, By the way, if you guys follow at We Black and Nerds, sometimes, like, Amazon will do these, like, huge deals... And I like to, um, if I have any money, <laughs> buy, like, people those books. So, like, Shadow Shaper was, like, $5 for a day or something. And I, I bought it for, like, people that would, um, I was, like, the first five people that retweet me get this book. Yeah, and then oh, that's you just great. Have to read thank it. you. So, that's super cool. um, no, thank you. Because <laughs> it was, like, <laughs> I could actually afford to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and I've seen a few other, like, people publicly like buying books for other people especially like ebooks and stuff so um i don't know that's my little absolutely we should keep doing that Um, yeah um so okay so you kind of mentioned it earlier but um also you're you're writing for this star wars book right is it like a is it a short story or is it like a yeah it's an anthology of short stories and i'm writing a short story for it yeah that's so tight. Yes. I'm really excited. Really awesome. <laughs> I'm really like, excited my nerd too. just went like, it's so cool. <laughs> um, so like if you could, and I know you're not, you said you're not like a Potter head, but if you could do the same with like the Harry Potter universe and like, if in some like weird uh, alternate universe, JK Rowling like opened up the wizarding world for other writers to like 
put in their own, um, like, write their own characters and, like, their own stories within the wizarding world, what kind of stories would you want to see and or tell? Ooh. Wow. That's a tough one. Man, you know, there was this amazing Tumblr post I just refound um, from, like, a couple years ago. Like, I don't know, a, bunch of, a couple years ago. Where they, they put together a bunch of GIFs, or GIFs, depending on who you ask, of um, yes, a, a made-up a made up movie um, that was that was exactly... It was called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, but this was before the actual, actual movie came out. And they went to New York, and it was during the Harlem Renaissance, and they had to fight, like, a group of dragons... And, you know, like, Duke Ellington was in it, Langston Hughes, and um, it just looked, Nella Larson, it just looked so amazing. And they put it all together in this little, you know, like, group of uh, graphics <laughs> and moving graphics. And uh, it was amazing, you know, it was just so cool to, like, see that history told, but with, like, magic and characters of color and, like, you know, just honoring, you know, just different um, black poetic traditions and all that. Like, that was that's what I'm talking about. When I saw that... I remember seeing that and just being like, this is incredible. And then, you know, they made the movie and it wasn't right. that at all. It was almost the opposite, right? So it was like, wow, mm-hmm. it's so close and so far at the same time. But um, there's so much room for, like, interesting ways of it, like, you know, inserting magic into history that could be really exciting. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I'm, I'm going rogue. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, a lot of Sorry, your characters. I got time for like one more question, by the way. Yeah, yeah. A lot of your characters um, from Salsa Nocturna uh, show up in different forms and subtle changes in Bone Street Rumba. Was that on purpose? And like, how did, how well developed is that world that you are able to kind of like take a character that showed up in a short story and then like put them in the bigger novel? Um, yeah, it's all. I mean, it's, it's, Salsa Nocturna is actually part of the Bone Street Rumba. Um, it was written first. It takes place after Midnight Taxi Tango and before Battlehead Bolero. Okay. Um, so it is actually, like, it fits in the, in the sequence of the trilogy. It's just kind of a plus one. It's like book 2.5, basically. Okay. Um, so, it, but it's the first thing I wrote, really, in that world. So it really became a question of how does it all fit in chronologically? Because um, I wrote Salsa Nocturna, and then I wrote Half Resurrection Blues, knowing that it came before it. And then I sold Half Resurrection Blues with three, with, as a three-book deal. And then I really was like, wait, so where does Salsa Nocturna happen? Which I didn't really fully know until I started Midnight Taxi Tango and was like, okay, this is before that. And then Midnight Taxi Tango technically ends on the same day that Salsa Nocturna begins. Um, because if you if you do a careful read of the ending, what the last thing that they... Spoiler alert. The last thing they tell Carlos is that he has a mission to deal with a, something, some mysterious entity in the park. That crushed a bum, which is the first, which is Tenderfoot. Oh, that's the first story of South Nocturna. So he goes off to do that. Mind blown. That's how Midnight Taxi Tango ends: is him leaving to go handle that situation, and making the decision. Big spoiler alert: making the decision that he's not going to think about Sasha ever again mm-hmm. because she killed him. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's also the answer to the question of why is Sasha completely not present during all in his mind during all of South Nocturna, because he's consciously trying to be in denial about the fact that, you know, who she is and the fact that he's in love with her. Um, and then Battle Hill Bolero is really, like, you know, him failing at that denial. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's all, it all does really fit together. And then it's also all connected to Shadow Shaper, 
because um, you already know there's characters you know in common, but also the timeline is connected in that. Uh, well, with the book, there's another Shadow Shaper novella coming out in June, and in that one, it actually takes place during the West Indian Day Parade, <gasps> which is when Half Resurrection Blues ends. Uh, remember, it ends on that during that mm-hmm. parade. And so they actually mm-hmm. cross paths with Carlos at one moment during the novella. And so the events kind of line up, and that gives clarity about the whole timeline. Oh, my God. Um, I can't wait to get on Tumblr. It's all very connected. After this comes out. <laughs> yeah, I, and there needs to be, like, a master timeline, because it really does. I have one in my head. I've never posted it, but it does, like, all connect. Like, if like Shadow Shaper takes place in June of the same year that Half Resurrection Blues takes place, and then... We go from there, basically. That's so great. That's super lit. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So thank you um, for joining us. We have we do this last little thing at yeah. the end of all of our episodes where we nominate an MVP for our episode and then, like, who's benched, so, like, who lost. Um, we usually do it for chapters, but we can, I guess, let's do it for any, like, just we'll say any of the characters within the universe since now since we just found out all of it is connected um so i'm gonna say my mvp is kia um because she's lit and also she's my sister (laughs) yeah makes sense makes sense um robin what about you oh man i'm gonna i'm gonna double up because i cheat and it's gonna be kia and sierra um okay um, just because yeah kia is my cousin and (laughs) Uh, Sierra is just so bomb. Like, I just, yeah. Like, nice. her inner monologue is just, like, so bomb. So, yeah. Oh, I'm glad you feel that way. Thank you. That's great. Do I have to do um, one, too? Yeah. Yep. You have to. Oh, man. Yeah. It really is, like, trying to pick between your children, so I can't do that entirely. I gotta go through <laughs> different phases where I'm like, oh, this character is totally me, or, like, this character is just so amazing, I want to write them all the time. Right now, if I I would have to say um, Izzy is actually oh my god, Izzy really, is so like, great. Oh, and she really gets to thrive in the two novellas, like the one that's already out, Ghost Girl in the Corner. She's one of the main point of view characters, and it's about her and T and their relationship. So it's really cool to like explore her as a character um, and get to like see her rap and like come up with the raps on her own and everything, and like in her head and how she deals with that. And she's also just like a really emotional character, I think. And she comes across outwardly as just, like, the badass, but she has so much going on, and she she just feels really deeply um, everything that's happening, and she loves tea really deeply. And it's all really beautiful to me. And then she's also just bad. She is really badass. When they get in that fight at the club, because, oh, when they get into the fight at the club, and, and she's like, tea did that. Oh, oh yeah. And she, yeah, she's all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just love her, and she's a great artist, and she's a great you know, person and great friend and like it's cool to see her kind of like take off and do her stuff and then in the novella that's about to come out she's not a point of view character but she gets to rap and actually the other day it was Jefferson's birthday and there's a scene that I posted from the from the upcoming novella Deadlight March where she disses Jefferson on stage and I kind of love that part so yeah that sweet okay so I benched Caitlin Fern um I like just finished uh, Battle Hill Bolero, and I'm just like, she's, she's, oh, cool. Yeah, she's, um, yep. so yeah. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Yeah, I think, she's just so much fun to write. That's yeah, the reason she's in Yeah, um, yeah. So I've been to Council of the Dead, like the entire entity, um, yeah. 
just because they're fucked up. Like, they're just like... That's fair. Yeah, as you explained, yeah, they're, they're trash. So... <laughs> have you read Battle of Bolero yet? I have not. Um, I was like trying to like get it done before this, um, but I'm going to. It's it's as, as soon as I. Yeah, I'm getting it done. I'm going to. Absolutely. Bad leader right now. I get it. Come on. <laughs> um, who would I bench? And I don't know. I'm a second Caitlin Fern, because she really is a hot damn mess. I had fun writing her, but she's a terrible person. <laughs> she really is. It was, I like, I really appreciated, like, getting her point of view. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun Because I was just like, oh. Like, her, just, yeah, just the way that she thinks is, it's interesting, but also, like, she's the worst. But it's so interesting. Yeah, with a war book, I really needed to have someone on the inside with the bad guys. So it was mm-hmm. a lot of that, um. And the, just to get at the complexity that they they have going on and stuff and the inner workings. But um, she was also just a really fun character, right? Like, you know, there's that moment in Midnight Taxi Tango when her and Carlos are talking in the bar and she gets a chance to really tell her story. And I was like, this is mm-hmm. too much fun. She is such a mess. Like, it was great. <laughs> so that's part of why she got her own moment to shine. That's awesome. Um, cool. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Um, Thank you, guys. Thanks this for is having so me. great. Yeah. It was a lot yeah. Of fun. Thank you so much. Um, and for Absolutely. our listeners, please, please, please um, follow Daniel at DJ Older on Twitter. Check out all of his books, Shadow Shaper, the Bone Street Rumba series, Salsa Nocturna short stories. Let them like lull you into a really crazy dream state um, if you get the <laughs> audiobook. And his novellas, which um, Ghost Girl in the Corner, which is like a dollar, like he said. Um, and the new one's coming out when? Whenever it comes out, just get it. Just get all of them. Get all of them and shut up. The new, novella, the new novella comes out early June. It's called Deadlight March. And the new, and then the full book, Shadow House Fall, comes out in, on September 12th. Get those and shut up and just read them and, and get your life. It's an order. Correct. And then, I'll, last thing, I have a middle grade coming out next year. And it's called Flood City. Oh. So, yay. Oh. Sci-fi. Yeah. Uh oh. It's lit. We got a baby sister. We got a baby sister that's gonna be written now. There you go. <laughs> awesome. All right, you guys. Thanks a lot. Take care of yourself. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. All right. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. On Wednesday, we will resume our regular schedule and we'll be discussing Chapter 27 of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire Padfoot Returns. Make sure to read and follow along. And if you want to join the conversation on Twitter, you can add us at We Black and Nerds and use the hashtag Wizard Team on Twitter. Um, also, don't forget you can also join our Slack group. And don't forget to send me all your votes. It's important. Yes, um, we are taking votes until we finish uh, Goblet of Fire, which will be sometime in three months. So you have time, but send in the votes now. Um, and you can follow Bayana at Yana underscore Hallows, like Desley. And you can follow me at Robin with a Y underscore Ravenclaw, like what Harry is not. And we'll see you next week. Bye, y'all.